Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Anybody have anything during worship that you wanted to share? So when we were worshiping, I just saw this envisionment of just this room. And in this room was a door that was locked. And Yeshua was stepping into it. And he wanted to go through that door. But the person at the home blocked going into that door. And it said that this is dark. It's dark. It's scary. It hurts. I don't want you to go in. And if you should have said that, no, I want to go in because I'm here to restore. I'm here to light. I'm here to do the things of my father. So the, the person handed over the key, opened the door, and the shoe went through. And the room of darkness came to light. And then within that room there was another door. And the guy went to that door and said, no, I don't want you to go through. He goes, no, I'm going to keep doing it. And he kept doing this all the way through to the end. got to the center. And to realize that's the part of the hearts where Yeshua is just wanting to walk through every step of the way through our lives through all the difficulties until he meets the middle and stuff like that. So and the whole house is filled with his life. Amen. That was what I saw. And that was a beautiful picture that you saw of. Yeshua coming in, bringing restoration. Amen. All right, praise God. Well, um, all right, so I'll share a couple of quick things. So during during worship, uh, in one of the songs, before you started singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, I started singing that song, and I was like, I wish we were singing this song. <laughs> and then as I was sitting there going singing it, then I heard you singing it, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. So uh, either I was already doing it or somehow I got it backwards and thought I heard I was doing that before I heard you singing it. But whatever it was, I just really felt the Lord's presence in that. And then two, to, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about love and, and, about, and about the heart. So when Ben gets this picture of Yeshua going through the rooms of hurt and a person's life that they aren't sure that they want him to come into because they're dark 
that he still desires to go and bring that light, bring healing and restoration, and go through one by one till he reaches the very core and the heart. And in worship, I was thinking uh, that uh, I wanted to start out to mention the word heart, and that is lave, right? And that the Bible, the, the Torah, ends with the letter Lamed, and it begins with the letter Beit. So at the time that you complete the Torah and go to begin again, you have the word lev, heart. That all within it at the center there, from the beginning to the end, there's the heart, right? And so here it is. That's where the Lord wants to go. He wants to go into our heart, into the hidden places, into the broken places, and bring restoration, and to call us to serve him, to love him, in a pure, undefiled heart, and to love each other from that foundation. And uh, the verse came to me in the when we were singing in James. Uh, I can find it here momentarily. Yes, there we are. In James, chapter one. I'll start in verse 25. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And... Um, I was thinking about just the purity of love that God desires that we set ourselves apart from the cares of the world, from the stains of the world, and we pour ourselves into him out of just love, pure, undefiled love. And then from that, he says that part of this undefiled love is the visiting of the, the orphans and the widows, right? Because then you become the hands and feet of God reaching out as agents of restoration, right? And another thing I read earlier this week was speaking specifically to the aspect of what Ben was saying with the door that was locked and that was desired to be kept hidden. And it was uh, one of the sages had had made made the statement that God is wherever a person invites him in to be, like wherever he's invited in. That's where he is, you know. And so in those dark places, in, in our hearts, you know, Yeshua says, I stand at the door and knock. He who hears, you know, and opens, I'll come in and dine with them, right? Well, I mean, that's an aspect of, of our salvation and really coming to God. But it's also in, he's knocking at the door of healing and restoration in our lives to, to bring us to a place where we serve him out of pure love. Amen. Okay, so part two. (laughs) Um, All right. Um, This week, we're beginning the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to start in Deuteronomy 1, verse 28 to 33. What's happening here in Deuteronomy is that Moses is nearing the end of his life. We're now in the 11th month of the 40th year 
the children of Israel will be crossing over into, um, sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties, but we'll see if they come through. But um, the children of Israel are crossing into, getting ready to cross into the promised land. Okay, and so Moses is really giving a five-week sermon to, (laughs) I hope y'all brought something to snack on. And uh, but he's giving a five-week sermon, and to to call the people to repentance from their failings, to equip them for where they're about to head into, to encourage them, uh, you know, to give exhortation and to tell them to to love the Lord as they go and to carry out His commandments and to walk in the land and not to turn from His ways. So he's, he's preparing them, and so Moses is going to die five weeks from the time that this book starts, okay? But what he's doing is he's recounting their journeys through the wilderness, and, and in that, he is saying, here's where you came from, here's where you stumbled along the way, strengthen yourselves, don't go, don't go back into those and now get ready to, to move in. So in Deuteronomy 1, 28-33, Moses is re- telling them again about having sent the spies, and the spies came back. And the spies, actually, Moses reaffirms that they gave a good report, saying, good is the land that the Lord our God gives us. But then the people feared, okay, because they heard other words, and, it, and they say, to where shall we ascend? Our brothers have melted our hearts, saying, a people greater and taller than we, cities great and fortified to the heavens, and even children of giants have we seen there. Then I said to you, do not be broken and do not fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he shall make war for you. Like everything he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness as you have seen, that the Lord your God bore you as a man carries his son on the entire way that you traveled until you arrived at this place. Yet in this matter you do not believe in the Lord your God who goes before you on the way to seek out for you a place for you to encamp with fire by night to show you the road that you should travel and with a cloud by day. I forgot that we were going to read that. But that's the way maker, the miracle worker, (laughs) the one who's the promise keeper, right? Who had given the promise and told the people to go up and take the land. And the people feared and, and didn't go up and take it. And because of that, the Lord was angry with them, and they wandered in the wilderness for 38, 38 additional years. All right. Okay, so I'm reading this passage. One, it's great. It so ties into what the Lord was saying during worship. But then two, it's because this story about the failure of the children of Israel to go up and take the land when the spies came back with their report is very much tied to what's happening right now in these few weeks that we've been in. If you recall uh, last week, Jared spoke some about the ninth of Av or Tisha B'Av and how there's a three-week period from the 17th of Tammuz to the ninth of Av that is known as between the straits, a time of great uh, suffering and mourning for the, the people of Israel. And the ninth of Av specifically, which is coming up this coming Thursday, is a day of great calamity because it was on that day that the children of Israel 
believed the bad report and wept. So the spies came back with the report on the 8th of Av, and they gave the report that it's good, but it's bad. And the people said, it's bad. And that night they wept, and the Lord heard their crying and, and said, okay, you're not going to enter in because you didn't believe what Moses and Aaron and Miriam and Caleb and, and Joshua and some others were trying to uh, encourage the people to, to go ahead and believe the good report and to go. So that became a day of mourning, a day of calamity for the Jewish people. And there are many atrocities that have happened on the 9th of Av since then, two of which are the destructions of the, the temple, both temples, the first temple and the second temple. Uh, the, the first temple was under siege, and its destruction was carried out over a few days. But it was on the 9th of Av that the temple actually uh, burned. Okay? And then the destruction of the second temple was on the 9th of Av as well. Now, in the Talmud, uh, you know, there's some good discussions from what I hear on Thursday night actually about the Talmud and what it is. Uh, historical record of discussions of understanding, interpreting, and applying the Torah along with uh, some discussions of, you know, uh, what do those, how do those play out? You know, how does the interpretation work and hearing various opinions? Some of the things they do is talk about, well, why did, why were the temples destroyed? So in, in one book of the, of the Talmud, the question was, was asked, due to what reason was the first temple destroyed? And their answer was, it was destroyed due to the fact that there were three matters that existed in the first temple, idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and bloodshed. And then a second, and then they went through and expounded on why do they say those were present in the first temple and, and brought destruction. And then the ne- next question was, why was the second temple destroyed? It was destroyed due to the fact that there was baseless hatred during that period. And this comes to teach you that the sin of baseless hatred is equivalent to the three severe transgressions of idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and bloodshed. Okay? Now, this idea that the Second Temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred is, is pretty wide, widespread and understood within Judaism. And at the time that the Temple was destroyed, there were many factions that, that were uh, kind of struggling for power and, and how things should work. And there, there, was, there was a faction that would actually uh, murder fellow, fellow Jews who didn't agree with them, or Romans, or anybody really who didn't agree with them. There were others who really only attacked the government. And there were, there were various ones, but there was a lot of infighting in between the people. And they all thought they were right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, within this, I, I can't help but see some parallels to what we see today, right? It's, it's hard not to get into an argument over even the most simple things, or find people who want to fight vehemently over something, like even wearing a mask, right? I mean, can't we just agree that people can do... Well, anyway, we got, we got laws, right? Okay, fine. But, but it's a matter of being like, okay, well, can I respect someone's opinion? You know, and can we actually have a discussion? Or is everything a, how dare you, you murderous villain? Right, and so there's a lot of what I see is baseless hatred um, within our environment, and it's been increasing. 
I, I read an um, article the other day that said that a survey taken said that 62% of Americans are afraid to share their political viewpoints. I would have thought it was higher, but but 62% is still a pretty pretty large number, right? And if we took a poll, we might find that 42% are afraid to share their opinion on wearing a mask. <laughs> but it's um, one of the one of those things, right? We we've got a lot of tension in the world, and everybody needs to calm down a little bit. <laughs> and um, so anyway. Here we are. We're on the Sabbath before Tisha B'Av, before the ninth of Av. And every year in the Torah portion cycle, the book of Deuteronomy is beginning to be read at this time. Okay, Every year, the Saturday before the ninth of Av, the book of Deuteronomy is started. And the, the Haftar reading, the, the, prophet, or the portion that we read from the prophets, is from the book of Isaiah. All right. Now... As I mentioned, we're in these, we're in the last three weeks, or we're in the three weeks of mourning, and then next week, right after the ninth of Av, we begin seven weeks of consolation, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Okay, and so I was thinking about, well, why does consolation begin right after the remembrance of the most calamitous day in Jewish history? And I think the answers are that, as in Psalm thirty, verse five, the Scripture says, "For his anger is but for a moment." His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Right? So after the dark comes the light. And just as the moon fades and completely disappears, it's then renewed. And then it increases until fullness. Right? So there's renewal after the darkness. And Zechariah 8.19 speaks of the restoration of these times of mourning. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. So within this, it's, there is yet hope, and there is yet comfort, even when there's difficulty. So if baseless hatred was the cause of the destruction of the second temple, and the subsequent exile, then what is needed for the restoration? Well, the answer is love. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's big. That is so big. The answer is love. And that's that's what God's looking for. He's looking for a people with a heart of love for him, and a heart of love for his people, right? For the people of this world who have been created in the image of God. So we're starting the book of Deuteronomy, and we're approaching a day that's marked by darkness and baseless hatred. But with the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is a little bit different than the other five books of the Torah. So when I think of I mean, the Torah is beautiful, right? They're, they're all beautiful books. But Deuteronomy is a little bit different. It's Moses telling a story, giving a message to the people that is different than what has happened in the past. In the, in the first four books, it's the Lord said to Moses, well, actually not the first four, but Exodus, 
Leviticus and Numbers. The Lord says, you know, it says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the people this. But now here's Deuteronomy starts out with these are the words that Moses spoke. Right. So this is this is Moses's heart uh, expressed to the people and giving them an, an understanding. I consider it to be some somewhat of a actually I consider it to be a book of love. There is so much in the book of Deuteronomy that talks about loving God from the heart. Just there's so many great passages that we're going to get to read over the, the next two months. Um, but it's And so I kind of think of it as Deuteronomy is to the five books of Torah, what the book of John is to the four Gospels, right? Because you have the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're telling the stories of everything that's happening, and they're beautiful. And then you get to John, and John's talking all about these deep, mystical, spiritual things and about this incredible love. Right and giving us a revelation of so much, so much love. Right, so I see Deuteronomy and John being like that. But Deuteronomy begins with an admonition to the children of Israel, saying, "Here's where you failed along the way, but now go up. You're going to go into land, and you're going to do it, and cling to the Lord and love Him with all your heart." And then, so we have that. So in the midst of all this. We're beginning to see a ray of light this Saturday when we're starting to enter into the book of Deuteronomy. We're seeing love and light come into this this period of, of mourning in preparation for the consolation and the restoration that's to come. Now, the book of Isaiah is where we get our Haftarah reading. And the book of Isaiah has a, a similar feel. Like when we think, you know, sometimes people stay away from the prophets because it's like, wow, I get so tired of reading all the doom and gloom, right? But the book of Isaiah starts out in the first 39 chapters are um, really calling the people to repent, giving rebukes and saying, turn back to God or you're going to, you know, face consequences, judgment, destructions. And then starting in, in chapter 40, through the end of Isaiah, you see comfort given to Israel. And that's how Isaiah 40 start, starts out. It says, comfort, comfort my people. And I, the book of Isaiah is known as a, book of, as a book of comfort. Even though it started out with 39 chapters of some, some challenges and harsh words, then there was the, the comfort that came and the prophecy of what was to come was so beautiful that, yeah, it's seen as a book of comfort. Now, I guess uh, in, in speaking of these, the, when it comes to Yeshua's ministry, he often quoted the scriptures. Okay, His most quoted book is the book of Psalms. But his second and third most quoted books are Deuteronomy and Isaiah. And during our seven weeks of consolation that we're going to be going through leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the book of Isaiah, after chapter 40 and on, are all of the after readings of that comfort and the consolation. So it's pretty cool. So we're, we're coming into an open door, right, to... to Take hold of the consolation and receive the comfort that God wants to give us. Okay, now within all of this, 
Isaiah has a message for us about how, about what God sees and what his desire is. So in Isaiah 1, I'm going to read a few verses here. Sorry we couldn't get the, or I couldn't get this to reconnect. Um, so on uh, Isaiah 1, verses 2 through 4, Stay here, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I raised and exalted, but they have rebelled against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey his master's trough, but Israel does not know. My people does not perceive. Woe, O sinful nation, people weighed down by iniquity, offspring of evil, destructive children. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have angered the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. And then picking up in, in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O chiefs of Sodom. Give ear to the Torah of our God, O people of Gomorrah. Why do I need your numerous... And by the way, when he's saying that, he's this prophecy right there was not to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord was likening their, the behavior of the people in this time as to being like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this was to be a shaking wake up of, whoa, wait a minute, you're calling us Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, why do I need your numerous sacrifices, says the Lord? I am satiated with elevation offerings of rams and, and the choicest of fatted animals and the blood of bulls and sheep and he goats I do not desire. When you come to appear before me, who sought this from your hand to trample my courtyards? You shall not continue to bring a worthless meal offering. Incense of abomination is it unto me. New moon and Sabbath, calling of convocation, I cannot abide mendacity with assemblage. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden upon me that I am weary of bearing. And when you spread your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you were to increase prayer, I do not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, purify yourselves, remove the evil from your doings from before my eyes. Desist from doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Strengthen the victim, do justice to the orphan, and take up the cause of the widow. All right, so God's giving the people a strong rebuke. And when we look at this, we say, well, what is it that God despises? Is it that God despises these offerings that he's speaking of? Or is it that he is despising the people bringing the offerings in their contaminated state where their heart is far from him? Right. And, you know, our answer to that is that God does not despise the offerings that he has commanded to, to bring that he has called beautiful. But rather what it is, is what he can't stand is the lip service, the window dressing, the I can go live however I want. And then I can come and approach before the Lord in the way that he's provided for me to draw near to his presence and think everything's going to be OK and to say, I have peace. Regardless, in, in grace, however I live, you know, and that's that's what he's rebuking. When service unto the Lord is done with that kind of falseness, then it is an abomination to the Lord because it's not about the service being done. Because just the action doesn't produce the fruit, if that makes sense. There's this combination that the Lord is looking for in the people to say, I love you, Lord. I've set myself apart to you, and I'm coming to draw near to you. Specifically, when it says, 
you know, I, I'm satiated with elevation offerings, right? So what are the elevation offerings? Those are the olahs, the, the, the burnt offerings, where someone who's desiring to draw near to God has brought this offering. They're not going to receive any part of the offering back. The priest isn't going to receive any part of it. The entire thing is going to be given up to the Lord as, as an entirely burnt offering. But what is supposed to happen with that is the coming into the presence of God of the one bringing the offering. So if you recall back to what we learned in Leviticus of the one bringing the offering takes his hands and leans upon the head of the animal. And in doing so, they're imparting their identity into the life of the animal. Right? So now they're, their identity is, is with the animal. And once its blood comes out, once that life comes into the basin, that life, which has the identity of the person, is now brought near to the Lord and splashed on the altar, coming as close into the presence of God as any soul can without dying. Right? And so when someone is bringing that offering and saying, my soul desires to come and to be in your presence fully, Lord, but their soul is filled with bloodshed, if their heart and their hands are full of bloodshed, then it's really a profaning of that vehicle that God has given for nearness. And so, yeah, he's going to be satiated with that and say, that is an abomination to me, right? Now, this, of course, was before the, the first temple was destroyed. Uh, first temple was destroyed. The second temple was built. Offerings were brought. Still mecha mechanisms of drawing near unto the Lord. Um, so it was not God saying, do away with all these. I don't care about that. Let's just have love, right? His commandment still stands. But so, so he really desires the heart. And continuing on in Isaiah 1 with verse 18, the solution. So God is giving the rebuke, and then he gives the solution. He says, go forth now, let us reason together, says the Lord. If your sins will be like scarlet, they will whiten like snow. If they have, have reddened like crimson, they will become as wool. If you will be willing and you will obey... You shall eat the goodness of the land. But if you will refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's calling the people to repent of their ways, to turn their hearts fully back to him. And that, and that in that, he would forgive, and they would be white as wool. And then, as a result, they would get to continue to live in the land Right? But if they would not repent, then God would be forced to exile them such that he could bring them back into repentance. So that's what Isaiah, the purpose of his admonitions, the purpose of Moses' admonitions, and even the, the purposes of Yeshua's admonitions to the Jewish people when he came, were all for the purpose of turning people back to God such that they could receive the fullness of the blessing that he had intended for them, as opposed to suffering judgment and exile. So they, these three, you know, Moses, Isaiah, and Yeshua, they all shared a common ministry of, of, of repentance and seeking the Lord with all their heart 
to love him and serve him. All for the purposes of being able to go in and receive the good blessings that God had. And so Moses was preparing people to cross over. Isaiah was trying to prepare the people so that they would not go into exile. And then Yeshua came trying to prepare the people so they would not go into exile and so they could cross over into the kingdom. Right? There's a a commonality to the ministry that they all had. And their message was all the same. Repent. Right? Now, what's interesting too, so Isaiah. The name Isaiah in Hebrew is Yeshayahu. Okay? Which is God is salvation. It's just said in reverse order. Yesha, salvation, and then God, Yahweh. Okay? But then with Yeshua, if you go back to what the full long form of the Hebrew would be, it would be Yehoshua, right? Which is God is salvation. They're both God is salvation, calling the people to repent, right? So they can walk in the fullness. That was a neat little parallel thing. Um, Okay. So now all three, Moses, Isaiah, and Yeshua, they all accepted a call from God to go as these people who administer and who would be those who bring reconciliation, even though the journey or the, the task would be difficult and we'd marked with pain. And, and uh, you know, Moses had to give up his life, couldn't enter the, the land. Right. Isaiah, uh, according to tradition, uh, was was the, was sawn asunder. Like you know, when the scripture talks about that some prophets were stone and some were sawn asunder, there's been debatable who was sawn asunder. And according to uh, historical teachings, that Isaiah was actually killed by his grandson Manasseh, King Manasseh. Surprising, right? Um, but. And then, of course, Yeshua, you know, was willing to lay down his life, right? So they, they all were selfless in their calling. And that's what God was looking for, was, was people who could lay aside their own desires and their own wants and say, Lord, what's your desire? What is your love? And now let me go and love as you do, right? Um, with some of the commentary about Isaiah was that he had to have a little bit of preparation before his ministry uh, began. And I'd, I'd never really seen this before. So take it for whatever you think about it. But in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 gives the, the story of when Isaiah was called to go be a prophet unto Israel. And Isaiah sees this vision of God in, in the in his temple. And he sees seraphim calling out to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. 
Now, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say your sin is forgiven. It says your sin will be atoned for. But like most of the translations say, it's done. But not in the, in the Jewish translations. They follow with what the Hebrew said of, will be atoned for. And so when the sages were looking at this, they're saying, well, there was a sin for which he, his lips were touched with the coal. And that being touched with the coal didn't injure him, but it wasn't comfortable. And that the pain there wasn't, was to let him know that he had spoken grievously. Because he said, I am a man of unclean lips. And the Lord's like, that's fine. But then he says, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the Lord says, yeah, you don't call them that. <laughs> right? Now, the Lord will go on and say that the children of Israel had sinned and will call them out for what they've done. But the sages looked at this and said, Isaiah needed a rebuke because it was fine for him to speak of himself in that way, but to speak of the people of God in that way? No, now you've overstepped. And now you will receive this uncomfortable coal on the lips to show you to guard your tongue. right? And then, now from there, Isaiah can now be kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago, a good zealot, right? A zealot is one who's zealous for the Lord, but who still sees himself as among the people, right? Because a zealot can go and start just slashing people and whacking them over the head, right? But no, actually, they need to go and be zealous for the Lord with the love of the Lord, right? And to bring correction in, in love, right? But if you don't see yourself as among the people, if you see them as all wicked, then suddenly you're not going to be able to work out of a place of love, right? Which is part of the problem that we have in society is too much finger-pointing and shame and, and uh, unbridled anger. But it's like, okay, so we got to get back to this foundation of love. And then that's where we're going to operate out of. And it starts with this love of God and, and surrendering ourselves to Him. And then from that foundation, going and then being able to operate out of health, out of love, out of goodness. Is it working again? Okay. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave it, but thank you. Um, okay, so <clears throat> what each of these did, Moses, Isaiah, and Yeshua, they all took on the yoke of the Lord. They all took on this yoke that he was asking them to wear or to, to, you know, to carry. And there's a lot of speaking of what a yoke is within rabbinic discussion. And they speak of the yoke of Torah and keeping the commandments. They speak of the yoke of, of the kingdom of God, right? And, and God's kingdom here. And then they're speaking of even like throwing off the yoke would be like a denying of who God is. Right? So yoke is very much tied to um, what kind of an authority that people will come under or a way that they will adopt and walk in. Earlier when we were praying, Bill prayed about Yeshua's yoke being easy and light, right? That's one of our verses. Um, when we were praying for Laura. But in Matthew 11... 
Verse 28, Yeshua says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Oftentimes it's thought that, or taught that that is Yeshua saying, Hey, look, the Torah is too much for you to bear. Cast that off. Come with me in grace. But he's not really doing that. Instead, he's He's saying this yoke of oppression that you've been under from the Roman government and even from things that have been laid upon you that are not according to the Torah but that are um, traditions that are, you know, things you shouldn't bear. Those things, you know, throw that off but come and still walk under my Torah, you know, the Torah that's been given. That is easy and light. And we'll find even in the book of Deuteronomy that God himself says that the Torah is not too difficult for you, which is a shocking verse to find. But it's there. And it's not that the Torah is to be kept perfectly. Right? It's that it's to be it's to be followed. It's to you're to aim at the perfect law. Right? And that we're but anyway, but Yeshua is saying, come and I will give you rest. I will lead you into this, and my yoke is easy and my load is light. You know, if you think back to Rehoboam when he took over as king of Israel, people came to him and said, so are you going to lighten our burden that had been placed on us by Solomon? And he's like, whatever, what, what my dad did is nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you. You know, he's like, I'm going to increase your yoke. And that's when the ten northern tribes split off and said, we've had enough. Right, but anyway, um, but Yeshua is calling us to His yoke that is easy and light, and that uh, that we can walk with Him in love. Um, one of the things that Yeshua calls us to do is to love our neighbor. In Matthew five, when Yeshua is giving His Sermon on the Mount. He's really giving a teaching of the heart of Torah and, and how to walk out the Torah in faith and love. And he's speaking of many things about saying, look, the Torah says not to murder. But he's also saying not to be angry with your brother. Right? There's this, the deeper meanings he's expounding on. And when he comes in, in Matthew 5, verse 43, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the hate your enemy is not part of the Torah. That was a teaching of one of the sects at that time that, that had this. But he's coming back to the, you shall love your neighbor and saying, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you, what, what do, you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's calling his, his, the people to recognize that their love is to be extended beyond just those they agree with, beyond just those who are in their immediate community. 
There's a grace and a love to be given. And if we can take that message and we can actually apply it, then we can actually see fruit of restoration, right? As opposed to getting sucked into kind of the hysteria, right? That, that, that we can see a lot when we read a lot of news articles. Kind of thinking that I need to fast from news articles. <laughs> I started to do that a little bit yesterday. I went to news much less than normal. And I was like, am I addicted to news? Okay, you know, you need to break that off, throw off that yoke. Because all it's going to do is bring you down, right? And start, you, you go to start pick, pulling up the news. How about pull up scripture? Okay, guys, I haven't tried that yet. Let's try it, you know? <laughs> um, so in, in Pirkei Avot, in the sayings of the Father, it says, whoever takes upon himself the yoke of Torah, that it says they, referring to God somehow, I don't know, removes from him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. Whoever removes the yoke of Torah from upon himself will be placed upon them the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. So if you think about that, it's like, well, what are we really to be aligning ourselves with and filling ourselves with? It's not the things of the world. Right? It's the things of God. It's the things of his kingdom. It's the things of his Torah. That's why I think I need to do this fast and do this uh, switcheroo where it's like news, no, scripture. <laughs> That's what we have to fill ourselves with, okay? And, and the thing is, even in the midst of all the difficulties or trials or whatever we see, God is a comfort to us. He said that he would be a comfort to us. Um, one of the scriptures that, that we uh, really, really like uh, here at Emmaus Road is stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path. What is the good way and walk in it? And you'll find rest for your souls, right? That's the connection to God's word, God's Torah, God's kingdom, those ancient paths, and we find rest. And that's this, the other way. The, the, it's the same thing as taking Yeshua's yoke upon you and finding rest. They're tied. They're, they're right there together. So within it all... From the place of pursuing the Lord in love with a sincere heart, as James said, with pure, undefiled religion, then we become free to walk in freedom from the worldly concerns. We can actually respond in love and then also with hope that even though the temple was destroyed, there's restoration coming. Even though exile exists, there's, there's return that is coming. Even though right now Yeshua is in the heavens, one day he's going to reign here on the earth. And so our desire is for, for love to abound and for us to really take on the, the admonition and the call to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your resources. And, and then just in, in closing, uh, in Isaiah, I wanted to wrap up with the last verses of today's Hafra. The Lord says, I will return my hand upon you and refine as with lie your dross, and I will remove all your base metal. Then I will return your judges as in earliest times and your counselors at the first. After that, you shall be called city of righteousness, faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her returnees with righteousness. Right? That's the hope 
that's the hope of what God has in store. There's a refining and a purification that is good, maybe painful at times, but is good. And we want to we want to receive that. We want to say, "Yes, Lord, come in to whatever place you want to be, and bring that light, because your light will dispel the darkness. You will bring hope. Your love." will cast out and, and trample down the hate, and we will see a city redeemed with justice and returnees with righteousness. Amen. We're running a, a little bit late, but, so we, but we could do a question or comment if anybody has anything. Uh, Leslie has something. I just have a comment. I think um, in the parish hall this week, with the gospel being Matthew 24, 1 through 24, and just the night of offcoming and the time that we're living in, it's just so incredible to know that that people around the world are reading this, you know, and it is like, I I love Matthew 24, so just seeing it in this week. Yes, yes, that reading was very much tied into the the warning that destruction of the temple was coming and subsequent exile. Now, one thing that really stood out to me on that too, um, if we continue on, like, so our reading ended with verse 22, and then it goes on and talks about some of the trials that will, will happen in, in the days before Yeshua is revealed. But then it says in verse 29, it says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, Right then, John, John, before then, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky, Shemaim, to the other. Right, and I, what struck me was that immediately after that tribulation comes the restoration. Right after this ninth of Av, we, boom, go into consolation. Right after the moon disappears, it returns, right? Anyway, I love that. Weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the hope that you bring. We thank you, Lord, that there is, the light overcomes the darkness. We thank you that there is hope and that you are the one who is our comfort, Lord. We thank you that you are steadfast and faithful. And through the years, despite the atrocities and the uh, challenges and the destructions and the exile, Lord, you have remained faithful to your people and you will remain faithful to your people. We thank you that you are, are with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us and you will not abandon us. We thank you, Lord, for the rest that you offer us, for the joy that you bring us. And we, we turn our eyes to you, Lord. Help us to have hearts that are fully tuned to you. And we bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.